It's 2022, which means it's a renewal year and you need CEUs. 30 if you're in South Carolina, and three of those have to be on ethics, jurisprudence, and whatever else goes in that category. Look, the year's going by fast, and you can knock out all those requirements with a MedBridge subscription, and you can get 40% off with the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD. I have a friend named Shelly, and she's a little lazy. Her words, not mine. She hasn't done any Con Ed over the past year and a half until she got her subscription set up. And what she does is she just puts modules on her phone while she watches 90 Day Fiance. Great show, by the way. Is she learning anything? No. But is she getting the local governing bodies off her bat? Yes. Your subscription also includes NSCA credits, OCS certification prep courses, patient education, home exercise programs, EMR integration. There's tons and tons of resources. Again, use the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD to get 40% off your individual subscription. That's the best price that MedBridge offers, okay? Only the best for our listeners. Now enjoy the episode. Happy Monday, everybody. In this episode, Josh and I interview my good buddy, Dr. Justin Dunaway, and this one is full of gems. Justin is the co-founder of a nonprofit organization that delivers orthopedic care to some of the poorest regions in Haiti, and he has some pretty crazy stories to tell. Justin also gives us some really good insight on how he approaches chronic pain in his physical therapy practice, which includes the importance of the high five in the clinic, and I think you're really going to like this one. If you like what you hear and you want us to line up more guests like Justin, please go into iTunes and leave us a five-star review. That's what helps us reach more people. Now enjoy the episode. Welcome to another special episode of the Better Faster Podcast. Today, we are joined by my good friend and colleague, Dr. Justin Dunaway. Now, for those of you who don't know, Justin is a physical therapist, but more than that, Justin, along with his wife, Morgan Denny, is the co-founder, and he's the president of Stan, the Haiti Project. And Haiti is actually where Justin and I first met. Uh, back in the day, he recruited me via Twitter. Yeah, that's, uh, that's probably, yeah, that's, uh, that's probably the closest I'll ever get to online dating. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, Justin's also an educator for the Institute of Clinical Excellence, where he's really emerged as one of the American leaders in spinal manipulation and pain management education. So, Justin, uh, I've mentioned you so many times on the show, we should probably name it after you, but thank you for joining us. How are you doing? Excellent. Thanks for having me. Um, love the show. And um, yeah, like you said, it's probably the closest thing to online dating, and it's, it's been a relationship <laughs> that's, that's lasted for years. So, I think it's um, a successful plug for, for, for Twitter dating in the professional world. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's... Uh, Twitter's still a thing. I don't ever get on it anymore. I'm on there. Probably. I don't know. It's kind of like stream of consciousness. Yeah, I'm probably on there more than I should be. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, um, for those who aren't familiar, can you start by telling our listeners a little bit about who you are and you know maybe what you're currently doing as a physical therapist and out of the clinical setting, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, absolutely. I'm um, so I'm I'm Justin Donnelly. I uh, graduated from Youngstown State University in Northeast Ohio, um, and then I moved to Arizona and practiced in outpatient orthopedics for about seven years. Um, where I chased down a bunch of con ed, um, was really into spinal manipulation and some of the cool manual techniques. Um, I, uh, at that time, I got an opportunity to travel to Haiti and um, to, on a volunteer medical trip, and we did a little bit of orthopedic rehab. And then after my first trip there, um, I just saw that the need there was so great. I wanted to do, um, do more. So um, with Morgan and a handful of other people. I, we started a uh, nonprofit out there and we've been recruiting teams of uh, interdisciplinary teams of medical professionals for Haiti um, ever since then. Um, kind of along that road, I got, uh, got into um, teaching continuing education. I've taught, I've created and taught courses in, in neurophysiology of pain and pain management, spinal manipulation, extremity manipulation, um, 
tool-assisted tool soft tissue mobilization, things like that. Um, and then um, these days, I'm, I'm teaching for ICE. I'm working with Stan the Haiti Project, and I've got about two days a week left that, um, that are relatively free. So I've, I'm in a clinic doing just general outpatient orthopedics, seeing a lot of spine pain, chronic pain, and a little bit of everything. Awesome, man. I was wondering if when you were uh, fit sleep in that schedule, hmm. that's super busy. Um, but going back to Haiti, can you sort of paint the picture about, uh, for us about how the clinic is set up and maybe talk about the kinds of patients or diagnoses you're yeah, seeing? Yeah, absolutely. Day? Um, so we're, we're down there three times a year for, uh, two weeks, but volunteers can come down for, for one of the two weeks of the trips. Um, and teams are about 25 or 30 volunteers big at this point. Um, and we're seeing roughly 1800 patients a trip. Um, and we've got a pediatric department, a outpatient ortho uh, department, neurologic department. We do wounds and fracture management. We have um, general medical practitioners come down treating infections and um, blood pressure and diabetes and some baseline medical stuff. We also have a full prosthetics and orthotics lab where we're um, building arms and legs for amputees and um, gait training, teaching them to walk and um, yeah, it's, we basically just treat patients sun up to sundown, and then uh, at night the clinic breaks down. You know, you put a bunch of PTs in a room, and it, it turns into a PT nerd night where we all want to hang out, teach, learn, talk about patients. Um, yeah, and we can see, I mean, everything under the sun from just general multi-joint pain to um, um, treating fractures from coconut farmers that have fallen out of trees <laughs> to wound care to shark bites to... Um, crazy neurologic injuries and, and diseases that we just don't see here. Um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Well, along those lines, can you just kind of talk a bit about just how Haitian healthcare is different compared to American healthcare? Because, you know, basically volunteers are, are really only a medical service that a lot of these Haitians will ever have in their lifetime. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it, it's really variable, but the area that we're at is a, is a relatively poor area of Haiti. And, um, you know, and, and it's, we're starting to see it creep up in some of the bigger towns now, insurance and things like that. But the area that we're at, there's no medical insurance. There's no government programs for, for people with disabilities. There's no emergency room where if you get hurt, no matter what, somebody has to treat you. Um, essentially, there's a couple hospitals in the town. And if you have money, they'll let you in the gate. And if you don't, you stay in the street. So a lot of our patients have... Um, never had access to any form of healthcare whatsoever. Wow. And, and so, you know, really when, when you guys go, it's, you're like the, the first line of defense. I mean, you're like the primary healthcare provider or the physical therapist. I mean, you you do it all. Um, so I'd imagine that you're really going to have a chance to test your, your differential diagnosis skills and yeah, pretty much everything, right. Kind of on the fly, right. Got to think fast. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's literally like, like the, the only place where I've been that I, actually feel like a true doctor of physical therapy um, the patients show up they they they're essentially from from a health perspective they're sort of a blank slate you know they've never seen a healthcare provider a lot of them ha haven't had the unfortunately a lot of them haven't had the opportunity to have um, a a continuous um, just baseline education type program um, so the understanding of self wellness, health and physiology um, just isn't there. And there's underlying undiagnosed medical conditions and, and multi-joint chronic pain and kind of all this stuff mixed together. And, and as a, as a true doctoring profession, I have to take the patient and pick apart all of this stuff and figure out 
what's modifiable, what can we educate, what can we change, and, and how can we create the, the biggest impact and the biggest downstream impact for this patient? Gotcha. Well, so you mentioned that term that the Haitians are kind of a blank slate. And I wanted to make sure we talk about it a little bit because I know we're going to probably get into neuroscience education in a little bit as well. But what is their, I guess, the way to where it's probably like their, their culture of pain like compared to Americans? Because, you know, here we, you know, almost becomes a burden you know the, the the more we know the more confounded factors we get you know between you know imaging you know depending on the provider you you might see it might be the you know physical therapist saying you know something is unstable because the core is weak or a chiropractor saying something's out of place that kind of thing but i guess if the haitians don't have these previous experiences like what what is the difference like interacting with these folks compared to what we see in the states Oh, it's, it's, it's wildly different. It's, it's really interesting. And it's, it's actually the thing that, that got me interested in understanding pain science to begin with. Uh, my first trip to Haiti was, was six months out of, out of grad school. And I got down there and like all the stuff that, that I was taught in school about mechanics and pain and damage. And it just, it didn't, uh, just didn't fit. It was like a square peg in a round hole. And it got me just trying to figure out what was different about this scenario than than back home and what's um you know one of the things that that we see like you said you know since there's no access to healthcare, and literally there's only one mri machine that i know of on the island and it's about 14 hours from our clinic um, so m most patients have never had an mri there's a x-ray machine in the one hospital that's it's cost 15 dollars per image um, and most patients can't afford that so they just show up in the clinic and they have no idea what's going on. Nobody's ever told them that they're, um, that they're broken, that they've got damage, that they've got arthritis, that they've got these things that, that need to be changed. So they're not seeking that treatment. And it's interesting too, because they come in with, with high levels of pain, but it's a culture where they don't, um, a lot of pa patients don't have cars. A lot of patients have to walk everywhere. It's a culture where they carry things on their head. So in general, people are very physically active in their normal day-to-day -day life. And um, it's also a, a culture of extreme poverty and famine. So it's if you stop working, if you stop doing the thing that feeds your family, um, people starve or worse. So people tend to tend to work and function and do things despite pain, despite damage. Um, so that's kind of like the first take. But then the opposite of that side is true too. We'll have patients that come in the door that have a pretty significant injury. 15 years ago and maybe they broke a bone maybe they had a severe burn maybe they had a severe cut um anything like that uh, a really nasty fall just some traumatic physical injury and then they um they never had the opportunity to go to a doctor and so nobody ever looked at them nobody ever diagnosed them nobody ever told them that they were healed and now there's this disability from a lifetime of being afraid that the bone in my leg is still broke 15 years later. And we get these patients that come in terrified of their body and hands on them. You listen to their story. You, you, you check them over. You, you tell them that it's okay to move. Your, your, your damage is healed. Your body's not broken. It, you can stand. You can walk. You can do these things. It totally just changes their life and they get up and they move. It's amazing. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, one of the things that really stands out in my memories from the, the trip I got to go with you, you, gosh, that was like four, four years ago now. Um, yeah, you're new, sir. Yeah. <laughs> some of the, uh, the people that came in with these, these um, you know, hips and shoulders that have been dislocated for like, you know, months at a time, and they just didn't have access to anyone to, uh, to, you know, reduce it or put it back in the socket. And, you know, the thing about it was that it, it, 
for a lot of them, it really wasn't that much of a limiting factor because, you know, they were still working. They were still providing for their families in spite of only having, you know, one functional limb, you know, upper or lower extremity, that kind of thing too. And, you know, maybe that was a survival mechanism because, you know, I realized in Haiti, if you, if you don't work, you don't eat, but it was just amazing because you wouldn't, you would never see that stuff here in the States. You know, people be on disability, wouldn't even think about going to work. It's just, just, it's just, you know, huge contrast between what we see here. Yeah. In both countries. It's, it's, I mean, you don't want to say that, that, that people here shouldn't have, have services when they need it. But on the other side of the coin, when you, when you, when there's no other option, you find a way to function. You know, it's, it, it kind of, it's, it's like living in two different worlds and trying to figure out what's the, what's the best mix of what I see in Haiti and what I see in the U S how can I, how can I take this and, and use that to be the best clinician possible? Now, um, you know, a couple of questions, a couple kind of, you know, miscellaneous Haiti questions. Um, yeah. what, what sort of treatments do you find to be effective in Haiti that maybe are or are not in the U S? Um, like, yeah, like you just, what, what's happening on the table? Yeah. What's happening on the tables, like on the physical therapy side of things where there's, you know, manual therapy, uh, um, any, I don't know, any kind of, you know, therapeutic exercises you might do, you know, what, what tends to work really well? Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to say some things that are probably wildly unpopular in this next answer, but I've, and one of the really cool things about, about being on all these trips and organizing these teams and, and getting to spend time in clinics with so many therapists um, is that I've had therapists from every camp imaginable in these clinics. Um, I've uh, Maitland and McKenzie and Paris and, and um, John Barnes and cranial sacral people and, and lots of, lots of, lots of um, backgrounds where people put hands on patients. Uh, I'm prone to, I like joint based stuff. I like to mobilize, I like to manipulate, I like to dry needle. Um, we've got scrapers and cuppers and everything under the sun has been in this building. And what I find is wildly effective are people that are really good at engaging their patients, putting their hands on their patients, doing something, taking the fear, the threat, getting patients moving better, and then having them stand up and have them move better, pick stuff up, move around. Um, it really seems like you know the, the manipulation table, the mobilization table, and the craniosacral table, if, if all the clinicians are in engaging their patients really well and then tying it into functional movement following the session. Um, everybody on those tables does well. So that's it's challenged a lot. Of, it's challenged a lot of my biases. Um, but when I see, when I see really good results coming off different tables with different philosophies, the one factor that ties it all together is how well they engage their patient. So not necessarily what the actual treatment is. It's the way it's framed and the way they engage the patient. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> same story, same story all the time. Um, next question I have is I know you have tons of stories about your experiences over there. Can you talk about one of the craziest things you've seen, maybe purely for entertainment or possibly <laughs> recruiting a, a possible physical therapy student to, you know, come yeah, aboard no. for extra. Well, I got, I got differential this fall and I'm waiting until I get that. Cause I know this is that crash course in differential diagnosis. So making sure I get through differential this fall and then, and then it's on my bucket list for sure. Wonderful. Yeah, this is definitely a crash course in differential. Yeah, I don't um, want to go before um, I hit that. <laughs> some of the craziest things I've ever seen. Um, like, I know you had one, well, 
You got one in mind. <laughs> um, I'm just trying to pick one. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, re- <laughs> I remember a guy, um, you know, and he came into the clinic and he had um, his left leg and his left arm um, were paralyzed and they were in, in the upper arm was in like a, like a flexor tone position. Um, and, you know, the, the story was, was really difficult to get a subjective. He's not stringing his sentence together. So, it, I mean, it sounded like a, sounded like a stroke right talked to his wife a little bit and his wife said that he had went on a trip um like two years ago and um went to sleep and oh and they were they were in a car and he he and his buddy and they they woke up and his buddy was had died in the front seat and um this is how he was now now that's my subjective and i can't get any other information out of him and i'm looking at the guy have him stand up have him move a little bit and um he's got a lot of back pain he's got a lot of leg pain um and I'm like, well, I, you know, I can't change the, change the stroke. We'll see how his arm moves. Let's see if we can just, just change his back pain a little bit. You know, and, and when, you, when you're thinking about treating back pain, you know, the first thing you look for is the lateral shift, right? If you've got back pain, back-related leg pain, a lateral shift, let's play with the shift and see if we change leg pain. So I, I, I'm just doing a manual left on right, hips over shoulders shift. And it's, he said that he can feel it in his leg and I keep going. And um, and he, uh, he, he says it hurts a little bit, but he can feel it in his leg. And then I stop and, and watch him walk. And his leg moves just a little bit more. So I do it again. And he moves a little bit more. And then the third time, I'm really getting into it. And it, it, the sound that came out of his back, because um, he, he, he kind of looked at me. He's like, he's like this, is, this is enough. And, and then there was a sound. And it was like, if you could like, take gr- rocks in your hand and make gravel, that's what it oh, felt gosh. like when his – it just went – Goodness. And then um, his knee kind of gave way, and I was like, oh, "Uh-oh, I did something bad." And um, and then he 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 straightened his leg, and he started walking, and his leg moved totally normal. Did a little bit more shift shifting on him, and got him on the table. We did some extension stuff, um, and then when he got up, his left arm came out of, came out of tone, and then um, twenty minutes later, he was walking down the street, no cane and looked like he had um, just looked totally normal. I know it's a crazy story, but um, it's, I, I can't make this stuff up. That's wild, man. That I mean, is crazy. I mean, That's just, awesome. It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. I mean, it just it doesn't make sense. Crazy. Um, God, I mean, just, I, I talk about it all the time, but you know, to this day, the, the experience I had in Haiti, and I hope to go again soon. I know they were actually sending one of our therapists, Tristan, uh, this fall. I hope she's been in contact with you about that. Um, yep, but it's all set. Yeah, it's it's one of the best things I've ever done. Not only as a condition, but just as a person. I mean, it really, it really changed my whole value perspective. It gave me just so much more appreciation of really everything I have. Um, and you know, I'm rambling here a little bit, but you know, the point is that there's anyone out there listening. If you have the opportunity to go on these trips, definitely take advantage of it and go. It will not only make you a better clinician, but it will make you a better person as well. And who are you recruiting right now? Are you recruiting? PTs, PT students as well. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, right now. Um, so right now our, our May trip is, is full except for we need uh, two more PEDS therapists. And then um, our fall trip, we're looking for, we still need a handful more PTs, um, general medical nurse, nurse practitioner, PA. Um, and uh, I've got, I'm looking at the board right now. I've got a couple of, uh, I, got, I do have a couple of DPT student slots left as well. Awesome. Um, yeah. 
All right. Hit, hit Josh. Yeah, no, I, I really All want right. to, man. I've heard great, such great things, of course, from Brandon, but then also the um, uh, Matt and Rachel Grubb uh, spoke so highly of it and showed, you know, a lot of, you know, pictures and videos of their trip. They made like a little, uh, like a little memoir of it, uh, you know, and it, it just is such an incredible experience. And I, I look forward to doing it one day, but I want to make sure I'm prepared. I don't want to go down there and not be able to pull my weight. So I'm excited to get through some differential yeah. diagnosis this fall, another manual class, and, and then hopefully get down there. What's, what's great is that from either a student or a clinician perspective, to be in the room with, with 20 other highly skilled clinicians, all from slightly different backgrounds, whether you've been doing this for, for 10 minutes or 40 years, if, if you don't walk out of the building with, with the new thought process or have learned something, you just weren't paying attention. Yeah, I want to go again, awesome. man. I, I feel like I, I feel. Like- like I need another shot. I'm um, just trying to figure stuff out. I mean, you guys are magicians, like using, using buckets and ropes and rocks to, you know, create long axis distraction, put hits back in place. I mean, that stuff, I just Goodness. would not figure it out on my own. It took a whole team to figure out that stuff. Um, but Justin, uh, I want to also talk, segue into pain science a little bit. So Jim and I were fortunate enough to host your total spine thrust manipulation course at our clinic last year. And that thing was outstanding. I mean, I'm convinced you could take anyone off the street and teach them how to crack a neck in less than 10 minutes. But one of the most valuable things I got out of that were the sections regarding pain science or neuroscience education. So um, I was hoping, you know, it's it's still very much of a hot topic for good reason. uh, But why and how important is pain science education and training in our field right now? I Honestly, I, I believe it's probably one of the most important things going on. It's, it's wildly important. We've got a, we focus on, on an opioid crisis. But the, in my head, the, the opioid crisis is, is a symptom. The real epidemic is, is a, a cultural fundamental misunderstanding of the pain experience. And whether you're a, a person who's currently in pain, the way that we, we seek to change our pain, or whether we're a clinician that treats patients in pain, the way we go after changing pain, it's uh, historically, we've, we've done it from the wrong platform. And it's, it's kind of a gut shot, but if we look at the stats, if we look at the fact that 64,000 people died of opioid overdoses last year, if we, if we look at the stats that say, you know, a third of the country's in chronic pain right now, um, if, if we look at and see that, that the number one cause of disability worldwide is back pain, like we're missing the boat somewhere. And in my head, the boat that we're missing is, is our fundamental understanding of the painful experience. So the opioid crisis, um, you know, it would seem that we're, we're probably make a huge impact on it. I mean, I know the APTA has gone all in on that with uh, the Choose PT campaign. Are we making a difference with that? Are, are the stats actually backing that up or is it too, too soon to tell? I think it's, I, I think it's too soon to tell. And I think that we've got to be really careful. Um, if, um, you know, historically we're not great with persistent pain either. Um, if we were, then it would be less of an issue, right? People would know that I've, I've got persistent pain. I'm going to go, go to physical therapy. But we historically haven't been doing well either. I mean, we're taking patients that have had back pain for 20 years and we're correcting upslips and stabilizing spinal segments and, and diagnosing instability and fragility and, and creating fear in our patients as well. And I mean, there's, I, I can't tell you a, a single patient that I've had that has had pain for more than 10 years that hasn't failed physical therapy a handful of times. And, um, you know, we've 
got to, we've got to kind of step back and understand that, you know, part of, but we own a piece of this problem because when you fail conservative management, what happens? Images, shots, pills, medicalization, right? So part of the, we're part of the problem. And once we understand that, once we, once we, you know, take that gut shot and realize that, yeah, this is on us too. That's when we can step back and say, okay, what is it that I can do differently to, to move the needle in a different direction? So, so where do we start? I mean, is this something that needs to begin in, in PT school? I mean, Josh, you're, you're getting over this right now, correct? Yeah, they've, they've uh, really made a great effort to move our modalities education into more of a pain science course, you know, teaching you what you have to know for board still, but really trying to, you know, take a different direction with that portion of the education. So I got to give our program credit for making that effort. And that's wonderful. And I, I think that, that that's, that's correct. It, it has to, this has to be be part of our education as providers as PTs and PTAs and massage therapists and acupuncturists and chiropractors and physicians and, and all the people that, that are putting the message out there, the, uh, the ones that are diagnosed and the ones that are treating, the ones that when the patients walk in looking for answers, the people giving the answers have to be giving a different answer. And we've got to be given the same answer. So it's not just PT education. It's, it's, God, we, it's got to change the whole thing. Well, um, so I guess what resources would you recommend, you know, for anyone who might be listening, whether it's, or it's a patient who's dealing with chronic pain or a physical therapist who's wanting to, you know, improve their skills, skill set, add more tools to the toolbox, that kind of thing. Like, uh, who, who do you recommend to begin with, whether it's courses, books, online content, whatever? Yeah, there's, there's lots of good stuff out there. And I will, I'll tell you that, that I really don't believe that, that you, can, you can listen to a couple lectures or read a couple PDFs or watch a couple videos and, and, and have this. This is, this is a practice. And, and for a lot of us, it's, it's a big change from how we approach stuff. Um, but I, I know that, um, that ISPI's Therapeutic Pain Science Program is fantastic. Um, I know that, um, that uh, body and mind dot uh, body, just Google body and mind Mosley. Um, yes, <laughs> I stumbled there because and this is, this is a terrible, uh, so, so there's a body and and there's a body and One of them is, um, Mosley and Butler's research group, lots of fantastic stuff. And the other one is a porn site. And if, <laughs> if, if, if you switch com and common org, you, you pick up, um, you, you get something you're not looking for, or maybe you are. <laughs> <laughs> but I, off the top of my head right now, I can't remember which one is which. All right. Oh, <laughs> so man. Maybe not go for that. Yeah. I, might, uh, I might have to test out those, uh, those um, URLs and Before put the right one the in the show notes. notes. Yeah. So yeah. Make sure I get that right. Just, just not in the office. Yeah. yeah. Right. Tell, um, ask, uh, just yeah. ask Kyle or Sean uh, to, to try to figure that out tomorrow when you get to the office, Brandon. <laughs> just yeah, put Sean, put Sean no on. Warning. He's, he's the newest. Yeah. He's the new guy. Yeah. yeah. Hazing. Lock. Got it. Yeah. Lots of great resources there. I, I, haven't, um, I haven't taken Greg Lehman's course yet. It's on my bucket list. I've heard lots of great things about it. Um, and then through Institute of Clinical Excellence, I have a, um, an eight-week uh, pain science and approaching patients in persistent pain course that I've put together that um, really spends a lot of time on the fundamentals of, um, of neurophysiology of normal adaptive pain. And then what changes in persistent pain and, and how we look at 
um, persistent pain different than acute nociceptive pain and, and some of the neuroplastic stuff that we would go after um, and then kind of bring that into all the cool um, all the cool front end stuff the great motor imagery and great exposure and cognitive behavioral therapy and sleep and stress and um, the science of all that stuff and yeah so it's it's very oh sorry man go ahead I was just going to say, so that course or anything by um, Adrian Lowe or Mosley or um, Greg Lehman, there's a lot of good stuff out there. I would say, you know, look and dip in everybody's pool and try to, you know, try to just consume as much of it as possible because you can't know too much. Yeah, our clinic is uh, signed up for virtual ice and, um, you know, we've all listened to your lectures. Uh, very good stuff. I mean, I, I love hearing, you know, the whole track from the, you know, susceptors all the way up to the brain and, I, I, you know, periodontal gray. That was something I hadn't thought about since, since I was in a PT school. But, you know, I hear you talk about it all the time. So I love hearing that whole cascade of events. You know, I need to, I'm going to memorize it again soon, but it's, it's great stuff, man. Um, but uh, one question I had for you is, and I know you've heard this one before, but one of the critiques I get about physical therapists who are trying to implement pain science or neuroscience education is that their patients essentially get spooked because they interpret it as a physical therapist tell them that their pain is on their head. So I was hoping maybe you could give some advice on way to approach the topic or maybe more importantly, how not to approach the topic with patients. So we don't get this kind of reaction. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, and I, I, Louis Gifford kind of said it best where it's, it's the, um, it's our goal to, to, make the patient realize it's all in their head without them believing it's all in their head. Um, so it's, and it's, it's probably the most skilled, difficult, and nuanced thing that we do in physical therapy. And just that reminded me that another amazing resource is um, there's a three book series by Louis Gifford called aches and pains. Um, and that's, it, it's, it's a lot of stuff, but um, it is phenomenal reference for this, this stuff. Um, but anyway, so I, I think that, that where physical therapists mess up with this stuff is they, they learn a bunch of stuff and it's, it's really cool, exciting. It's the new toy. And then when they come into the clinic, we just want to brain dump everything we know on them. And we got to realize that, that education, changing beliefs and expectation, all of these things are an intervention. It's great exposure to something new. And when a patient comes in with, with say, back pain, and we're going we're gonna to program a, a lower quarter strengthening, um, strengthening program with a goal of getting to the point of, of getting back to deadlifting 175 pounds off the floor, um, we don't start with 175-pound deadlifts, right? When we think about our, our physical interventions, we're really good at breaking it down, at programming it, at progressing it. As a, as a load control intervention. Um, we've got to think about our education the same way. So how we do that is we have to be able to identify where the patient's at, what they're ready for. I call it you know, psychological irritability, but it's really just, just getting a feel for what are the patient's current beliefs and expectations? How dug into their beliefs and expectations are they? And what do we think that they're ready to hear today? How hard can I push them? And a lot of times it's, it's really getting an understanding of where your patient's at, meeting them where they are, get, coming alongside of them, and then working with them from the inside to slowly over time challenge their beliefs to shift them into this new perspective. But if we come in guns blazing day one, they're absolutely going to walk out pissed off. My therapist thinks it's all in my head. Um, another really nice resource for for diving into to 
figuring out the patient's internal context and where they stand is a, is a technique called um, motivational interviewing. And I'm sure you guys have, have heard about this mm-hmm. as, as you've gone through some of this pain stuff. But um, there's a great book by um, Stephen Rolnick and William Miller called Motivational Interviewing in Healthcare. You can get it on Amazon for like 15 bucks. It's a super short paperback. But lots of really good tips for engaging patients and, and pulling, pulling information out and really moving towards behavior change. Awesome. So, you know, basically we have to be patient, you know, kind of identify that this is a process. And like you said, don't come in high, don't come in guns blazing. Um, maybe yeah. something, something kind of, I guess what, maybe sprinkle in, you know, periodically. Yeah. And we've got to realize that, that every patient's different, right? So an example I always use is, you know, that you've got one patient that comes in, they've had 30 years of back pain and, um, and they've seen a million PTs and chiros and acupuncturists and, and physicians and pain management specialists, and, and, and nobody's helped them for 30 years, except in 1989, I had one chiro, and I actually had a patient tell me this once, had a chiropractor that, um, that, that felt with his thumb, felt my L5 disc out, and he just pushed it right back in. And then I felt better for a few weeks, um, but then he retired, and I haven't been able to find anybody that can do that. Can you do that? That patient... Who, who believes that this is the one thing that can help them is not ready to hear um, everything you know about pain science day one. Um, they're ready for you to put their hands on them and, and, and do a thing. They're walking in skeptical of everything but this one thing. And I'm, I'm not going to put their disc back in, but I'm certainly going to put my hands on them a little bit. I'm not going to challenge their beliefs very hard day one. Now we're going to contrast that with, with a patient, 30 years of back pain, back-related leg pain, had a million clinicians and they walk in the door and they say, I've, everybody I know, nobody's been able to help me. Everything has failed. I don't know why this is going to be any different. Um, go. And we've all heard that story too. That patient is going to be a little bit more ready to hear some stuff if we're giving them something different. You know, that patient, I'm going to come in guns blaze and say, all right, listen, um, tell me a little bit about your past experiences. Yeah, nothing's worked. Fantastic. Tell me, you know, ask them all the questions and then say, okay, cool. This experience today is going to be wildly different than anything you've ever had before. Um, and where I want to start, let's just talk a little bit. Let's just talk a little bit about how pain works or just start sprinkling in a little bit more. But realizing where two seemingly similar patients can have wildly different, um, different belief systems and be entrenched differently in their current beliefs is kind of the first step into figuring out where I can start and how hard I can push. That's excellent. Great explanation there. That's exactly what I was looking for. Um, so one other thing I was hoping I could uh, maybe maybe take advantage of with having you on this podcast is um, just because we all encounter this every day in the clinic. But you know, maybe for any patients who are out there listening, can you talk a little bit about what a patient needs to know regarding the correlation between imaging and pain? And let's say let's say low back pain, since it's just so readily researched and discussed. Just just the basics. I know we can talk about it all day long. Yeah. Well, I mean, so so kind of the the basic things. To- to realize is that we know that if we take a whole bunch of people that have never had back pain before and we do x-rays images mris of them every 10 years of their whole life what we know is that every 10 years the incidence of changes in your mri go up you know as you get older there's a higher percent chance that you're going to have a disc out of place you're going to have um, arthritis you're going to have um, you're going to have stuff that doesn't look like a 14 year old back on an mri but the other thing we know is that around the age of 60, the incidence of pain starts to go down. So, so what we see there in that second half of the graph is that 
as damage increases, we have less pain, which means they can't be the same thing. Um, and there's lots of patients that have lots of stuff on images that, that show no pain at all. And there's patients that have pain and when they get an MRI, it shows stuff, but we know that that's already gonna be there. The other thing that we really have to keep in mind think about MRIs, especially from a patient side. So really cool study that came out in 2016 where um, we took one patient with back pain, back-related leg pain, they're middle-aged, they go to an MRI facility, and the study actually sent them to 10 MRI facilities, had 10 MRIs read by 10 different radiologists. And what they found was 49 distinct findings across all the MRI reports, and nobody could agree on a diagnosis. So the outcome was that, that your diagnosis and then your subsequent treatment just depends on who read the MRI that day, because nobody can read them the same. So at the end of the day, if you have back pain, back-related leg pain, and you don't have severe progressing weakness, you don't have changes in bowel and bladder function, you don't have loss of balance, you don't have any of the, the severe neurologic signs, the MRI is not where we start. Awesome. This is, this is the part, if you're listening, where you hit that 15-second that rewind button a few times and, and go back and hear that again. That was a, that was a great explanation. Um, Justin, uh, last thing I have for you is um, I promised one of my PTs, Kyle Thibodeau, that I'd ask this question on his behalf. So a few months ago, Kyle started high-fiving his patients after listening to one of your lectures on the neurophysiology of the high-five at, at the clinic. And this is actually, he says it's one of his priorities in his patient interaction, and it's actually improved his outcomes a lot. Um, I unfortunately haven't had a chance to listen to that one yet. Somehow I missed it. Um, can you talk about what that's all about? They used to high five in the clinic. Is that like the emphasis on positivity or positive reinforcement? What's that all about? Sort of. It's it, yes. But I think high fives are wildly important because the way the way learning works, the way because it kind of goes into to neuroplasticity. But if you think about um, how you how your brain develops circuits, develops motor patterns, develops when it fires chemicals, it's through focused repetition, right? And we know that there, there's this thing called um, Hebb's law, the Hebbian theory, nerves that, that fire together, wire together. So if you think about learning a new skill, let's say you're, let's say you're going to become a golfer and you've never swung a golf club in your life. First, first time you swing that golf club, um, one, the swing's a mess. Um, you fired all kinds of muscles and things you didn't need to, and it's not a very refined movement. And if we look at your, if we look at a brain scan when you fire it, all kinds of things are turning on. Over time, as you practice focused repetition on cleaning up that golf swing, um, you have changes in the neural firing pattern where, where things, that, things that aren't needed to fire don't fire anymore. That circuit gets more cleaned up. It gets more tight. It fires faster. And you don't have to think about it as much. It becomes efficient because all the different muscles that needed to fire through repetition as they fired at the same time, that motor pattern became wired as one. Right, so we know that these motor patterns, uh, th they appear through focused repetition. Um, and everything in our brain works that way, right? So if you, think about, um, if you think about this idea of nerves that fire together, wire together, what, when in your life, especially growing up, when in your life did you receive a high five? It's always after, you know, something positive, something, something good. Something positive. Yeah. And when, and when something positive happens in your, when, when something positive happens, what's going on in your brain? Serotonin, yeah, oxytocin, dopamine, all these good, feel good chemicals, right? And when, the, when those chemicals fire and fire and fire, and they fire in the presence of that 
high five, um, high five motor map, potentially, and I've never seen a study that said this, but it makes sense in my head that, that those things wire together. When you high five somebody, if you guys, if you guys high five somebody right now, um, it feels good. You can't help but smile, right? And it's, and when you do something well in competition or in motor movement or whatever, your brain says, yes, that was the right thing. And it starts to solidify that circuit and you get all those feel good chemicals that come out at the same time. So if we take that idea and we translate it into clinical practice, when the patient does something good, when they have, um, when they have, when they move the needle when they have a success, when they do a motor pattern that you want, when they squat past 90 for the first time, or whenever something looks really good, that's worth celebrating, that moves the needle just a little bit. If we get that high five, maybe, maybe we fire some of that, some of that reward center part of the brain as well and, and really reinforce that positive thing, but not just on a, Hey, this is cool. Let's fly high five. I really believe that it, that it, it does it on a neurochemical level, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's, that's awesome, man. So, so there you go. Hack your patient interaction. Increasing yeah, the Strength coaches. That goes, that goes, that's right. It goes that's, carried, that's, carried over into every, that's carried over to every aspect of Kyle's life. I feel like he just high fives random people as they walk by sometimes. Yeah, I feel like he, <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty sure he did that instead of shaking my hand the first day he came to work too. <laughs> I feel like, like I, I, I like I mean I, I love that idea. I, I kinda hate talking about it now though. Not hate, but then it's like now somebody listens to this podcast and they come to the thrust course and then we um you know they, they, they do a beautiful thrust manipulation and I come over to the table and give them a high five and they're like, Hey, yeah, I heard you talking about this on the podcast. <laughs> it's like, yeah, well, yeah, it's like a, like a preconceived high five. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, um, Josh, you got anything else? Yeah. I, I wanted to touch a little bit on that, on the course. I, you know, I was not able to take it, um, last year now being in PT school, uh, you know, I look forward to kind of moving to that. And I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on some things. Um, the big debate right now, you know, at least in, um, you know, that I always see, um, are these different things are okay. Manipulation under the PT scope of practice. We do get a little bit in school and, um, I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on, on this and the people who are arguing that, Hey, this is something that, you know, it's, it should be only chiropractic or it should be, uh, you know, or, you know, I wanted to kind of just get your thoughts on that as somebody who is somewhat an expert in this area. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's um it's a CAPT requirement, so it should be in all the schools. Um, I know that Louis Pundera just put out a study looking at um, essentially people's comfort level using it, and it's you know ninety five percent of schools say they teach some form of thrust manipulation because it's required. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's definitely an entry level skill in our profession, um, and I don't believe that any singular profession should own any intervention, any modality because it's not the the profession isn't the modality and just because somebody manipulates it it's what comes next that matters the manipulate manipulation mobilization hands-on stuff are really good good powerful manual therapy techniques but they're only good if they move to some sort of function um so i definitely think that it's it if you treat patients with spine pain um, or if you're treating patients with spines, you should know how to do these techniques and be proficient in them, but realize that it's not, um, this is not your practice. This is, this is a technique that's part of your package. That's part of being a physical therapist. No, I love that. I think so, that, um, that kind of goes along with the, uh, you know, a lot of what, 
um, you know, we're, we are being taught in school is where, where and when this plays into your overall treatment plan and how to lead it towards improving function at the end of the day. Absolutely. Awesome. Anything you want to add, Justin, Brandon? Uh, I, I just want to just say thanks again, Justin. This is, this is a fantastic conversation. Um, and just thank you for everything you do to push this profession forward, not only on the national, but on the global level. And uh, before we sign off, can you tell the people where they can find you if they want to look you up? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so if you're interested in, in stand or traveling to Haiti or want to know more about that, um, it's www.standhaitiproject.org. Um, if you're interested in some of my Con Ed stuff, um, I teach uh, spine thrust manipulation, advanced thrust manipulation, and management of persistent pain through Institute of Clinical Excellence. Um, so you can check out their website at ice.physio. Um, and if you're really interested in what ICE, stuff, ICE is doing, we have our, our sampler in Vegas on April 7th and 8th, which is um, essentially it's each one of our faculty has a couple hours to hit some of their best content. So I'll be teaching some thrust and some pain stuff. Um, there's going to be population health. There's going to be the fitness athlete. There's going to be um, some performance athlete and differential diagnosis and just a little bit of everything that we do. It should be a lot of fun. Um, yeah. And then um, you can find me on Twitter. at uh, Dr. Dunaway DPT. Um, and I'm on Facebook too. I love chatting about this stuff. So hit me up anywhere you like. Awesome, man. Well, we can't thank you enough for your time. As always, listeners, if you could, please go to iTunes and leave us a review. That's how we can reach more people and keep expanding this conversation. So we would really appreciate if you take the extra 30 seconds there. You can also leave a comment or a question as part of that review. It does help us figure out what to talk about next because we want to talk about what you want to listen to. Uh, or what you want to hear. So if you could, please do that for us. And then any more info about the podcast, you can find us at www.betterfasterpodcast.com or on Instagram at betterfasterpodcast. If you want to find more from me, go to www.carolinaperformancetraining.com or at CPT underscore strength. And then Brandon, you can find over at vertexpt.com or at vertexpt. Thanks, and we'll check you guys out next Monday. This episode is brought to you by Vertex PT Specialist. One patient per doctor physical therapy per hour. Guaranteed. The best physical therapy ever. Check us out at vertexpt.com or on the gram at vertexpt.